And I just want to, um, for the legal experts out there, just very quickly say, so the Constitution says that the GCOM commissioner, right, um, should be a person who holds or who has held office as a judge of a court having unlimited jurisdiction in civil and criminal matters in some part of the Commonwealth, or a court having jurisdiction in appeals from any such court, or who is qualified to be appointed as any such judge, or any other fit and proper person. And I believe this fit and proper is what a lot of the arguments turned on. Nonetheless, he was appointed. We had the CCJ ruling, which eventually said that the unilateral appointment did not stand. So okay. moving ahead then to have an election. Can I make just uh, one quick statement in response to Michael? Um, well, well, I just want to frame this, right? So we're going to go ahead to talk about the voters list. And I actually wanted you to pick that up, Matthew. So make your point in response to Michael and then uh, give us your thoughts about uh, the the compiling of the voters list. All right, so I noticed Michael said that he wanted a young person to be uh, in charge of the Elections Commission. I, I disagree with that because I do not believe that we have any, um, I don't want to say we don't have any, but I do not believe that a young person can handle uh, the position of a, uh, of a GCOM chairperson because the position comes with significant pressure and you would need significant expert in ex experience in the law and elections management and so forth to be effectively to effectively uh, navigate uh, Guyana's political uh, stratosphere. So I think Justice Singh, given her experience, and she would have been the judge that would have vitiated an entire elections in two thousand one. Uh, she has the experience and the legal acumen and and the the knowledge to effectively uh perform her duties so i do not believe that a young person would have uh or could uh be efficient and effective in that position i'm not um saying that we as young people are, are not capable, but I'm just saying for that specific position, you would need somebody with in intestinal fortitude to um to to effectively manage the elections commission. And that is even more uh prevalent now given all of these issues that have occurred over the past two months. But moving on now to the list, the official list of electors. Now it is my view that for a credible elections to be conducted, the basis has to be a credible list. And Guyana's official list of electors has over 660,000 persons in a country of 750,000 persons, which is a statistical impossibility because that would be telling me that Guyana only has 90,000 persons below the age of 18. And our records from the Ministry of Education will prove otherwise. So I believe that the GCOM chairwoman erred in her decision to, uh, 
to thwart the house-to-house process in favor of expediency. And while I do agree that uh, that uh, the Constitution would have outlined the specific timeline for elections after a no-confidence motion, I do believe that uh, any elections that is being conducted, there must be a credible list to conduct that elections on. So even in 2015, there were reports, uh, serious reports that the list was bloated. And Dr. Steve Surich Bali had um, released a statement debunking, that, debunking the narrative that the list was bloated. But he did admit that the list uh, was was very excessive and it was in need of being cleansed because uh, based on the constitution the GRO is, uh, is supposed to periodically update the elections commission with a list of dead persons I also believe that the elections commission should be in uh, contact with the chief immigration officer uh, as, as it relates to persons who would have migrated and so forth so the list could be updated often but uh, as usual in Guyana we do not adhere to laws we do not follow uh, the correct procedural uh, pathways and that was not done so the AP and UFC fought vehemently for house house registration and uh, she, the chairwoman in her wisdom would have thwarted the uh, house house after it would have registered about 300,000 persons and the old list was combined and we had this massive list of 660,000 persons and I think that laid the groundwork for what we are allegedly seeing now as persons who would have died voting and persons would have migrated voting and a whole host of uh, allegations. Of course, we are so still Matthew, awaiting. Um, uh-huh. if, if I can ask you, if you can respond then directly to uh, Twinkle's earlier point, right? That delaying the process of the election benefits the government in power. What do you think about this in relation to the request for house-to-house registration? Well... <laughs> You can look at it from two angles. I do believe that the request for house-to-house registration was probably a delayed tactic as as well, but the request had merit. And uh, I think if we look at it strictly from a political standpoint, we might be of the view that the government wanted to delay the election so that they had more time to woo their supporters and so forth. But now, in hindsight, I think uh, the Elections Commission, I, I would want to believe, would have probably uh, thought it best that they should have con- completed this house-to-house registration to ensure that any possibilities of dead persons voting and persons who are not in the country on elections day voting and all these uh, irregularities could have been avoided. So I think even if we check uh elections in the world generally uh politicians uh would argue for a clean list to be the basis of a credible elections and if there is not a clean list then you open yourself up to a lot of uh scrutiny 
Mm-hmm. But you mentioned the world, Matthew. So I want to bring it back to Twinkle because Twinkle, you and I are here in the United States, right? We're both in New York. And we don't have a process that I would say is similar to house-to-house registrations. I actually think house-to-house registration, at least in the abstract, is a really democratic good, right? Like you have members from the government going from people's house to people's house, engaging them in a conversation to build a credible list of voters. Whereas the other day I registered to vote in the U.S. and it was me going to the government to say, hey, put me on the list, as opposed to the government come to say, do you want to be on the list? So what are your thoughts about house-to-house registration, especially as somebody who's now um, emigrated over here? I think house-to-house registration is necessary to me. I, I like the idea of going and engaging people sometimes. Because I remember in um, election times back in our family, the, that, that move would, encourage, would get everybody in the house to register and such forth, as opposed to, you know, you register if you feel like or you don't register and these kind of things. So I'm, I'm for the house-to-house registration. Um, putting it in the context of Guyana, and the, the no confidence motion leading up to this house to house re- registration part of it is um to me it was also necessary it was necessary to me right but then the only part i think about is like okay gcom knowing of constitutional provisions that speaks to no confidence motion and and there's the possibility of this things happening of an of a motion passing why weren't you that much prepared like to, to, to conduct this process, the house-house process, and clean this list? Because it would be very unfair not to do a house-house registration and persons who reach the age to vote and would like to vote for somebody or vote for a particular party vote um, can get to vote. So I support the house-to-house process, but um, the, the part with it in Guyana that I didn't for this time was just that it had to stop they, they, it started, stopped, you know, they couldn't do it in a time frame that could out- please the public and also within their own institution integrity. So that was me. Another point um, I just want to make quickly is that the People's Progressive Party and the uh, coalition had agreed to conduct a house-house registration exercise in 2019 and the government uh, would have provided the finance uh, in in the budget for house to house registration to be conducted, but uh, after the no confidence motion, the PPP would have shifted their uh, would have shifted their outlook on house to house registration, and they were vehemently against it. But coming out of the 2015 elections, when uh, the opposite when the People's Progressive Party would have claimed that they would have been rigging. They were the proponents of house-to-house registration. So, again, it has to come back to politics and expediency and what serves your interest in this period and, and so forth. So, yeah. Okay. So, so Michael, you, you're on the ground in Guyana, right? You you have a very close-up view of things. And we've been talking a lot, I guess, from a bird's-eye view, looking down, top-down from the government. What what are your thoughts, final thoughts, before we go to talking about setting the date of the election on this process of house-to-house registration and how, like, everyday people are involved in this political process? So, 
I believe because of these delays that we had, it made the process of host-to-host registration itself very difficult to, to actually undertake because we were already, it's like basically you go into the teacher, you already pass the date to actually hand up the assignment, and you're basically begging the teacher now that, hey, you know what? Let hand up my assignment, no miss. And the teacher said, all right, all right, fair enough. You pass the date and collect the assignment. But then at the last moment, she said, hey, you know, miss, wait, 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 wait. Let me just check back the assignment now. And the miss <laughs> looked at you in great disgust and said, no, you can't do that. So basically, the, because of the timeline of, of these events and so on, it was very difficult to conduct an outsource registration, which may have taken in the totality probably a year to be done. So along with this, the host house registration would have also basically took a lot of these persons from the international diaspora off of the list. And I believe what PP was, was against because PP in itself rely a lot on international diaspora votes to actually win elections and so on. And they were not going to go for that. But it's not only PP alone. Other, the APNU also makes appeals to international diaspora to come home and vote. But that was one of the major issues and reasons why people were a proponent of it, along with the timeline. With ourselves registration, though, I would like the, I like the process of cleans, cleansing the list. But GCOM with, within itself have a lot of methodologies on hand to cleanse the list. For instance, GCOM relies upon the deeds reg, the, the, um, registrar of debts and so on to clean the list. And I believe it, it speaks a lot about the institutions within Guyana being broken because if GCOM was doing actively cleaning the list, in essence, we would have never got to a situation whereby people are actually trying to validate if a dead person voted or not because the list would have been clean, cleansed of the dead persons. So it, it, it speaks a lot about everything holistically when you look at it. All right, thank you. So now on October 2nd, 2019, um, President Granger, the leader of the APNU, um, the head of the government or commander in chief to borrow a US expression, um, announced that elections are set for March 2nd, um, 2020. Um, so, wh so what was in place that led the president to go out and make this uh, declaration at this point? Anybody could answer. Or, or, or to put it a different way, do, do people feel that we were ready at that point for a declaration that there was enough um, political will within the population to say we're ready for these elections now that, you know? Well, it, it all depends on how you look at it. Because from a momentum basis, I believe the APNU would have stalled enough. Because I think the major fear with the APNU was that just before the no confidence motion, we had low government elections. And I think the PP won by like 65% of the votes overall. So there was some amount of fear with the government of going into election after that will happen because they were basically, they were beaten very bad. And that's, that's even though the AFC would have moved off and, and collected votes on their own, if you combine the two, it was still a 65% win by the PVP. So that is why the PVP tried to engineer these things to speed up the process because they actually had a lot of confidence. So with APN, you know, they tried to, to slow down the process and sort of build back their own individual momentum. And the president made this decision on the barring that the GCOM chairperson which would have been elected 
be due to a next list that was sent to the president for his consideration, where he, he said that he believed Claudette Singh was an eligible person because she fit in what he had deemed his requirements as her being a judge and so on, and he deeming her somebody who's fit and proper. And it was very, I was very happy at this point because the opposition and the, the president finally agreed on something after all of this, this basically five years of pure disagreements. And I, I really believe a lot of these disagreements were marred with either political um, political differences or they were of bad faith and so on, just hatred amongst one another. But I was happy at that point in time, and the chairwoman made a lot of decisions that would have basically crescendoed into us being able to, to hold these general elections. And that was, that was the basis which the president set up the stage to have the elections. So then we have what you would call a six-month period of campaigning, right? So what we know, for example, when the um, APNU came to power, we talked about the hope and promise of uh, legitimate change that people felt. What were the um, campaign messages from the various political parties, from the governmental coalition, from the opposition People's Progressive Party, and these smaller parties like the Citizen Initiative uh, with um, people like Ruel Johnson that we saw? What, what was the message they were trying to put out as to say, vote for me? If Matthew and Twinkle could speak to that. I think I'll leave it for people on the ground to talk about it more, and then I can speak after Matthew. All right, so in terms of the political messaging during the campaign, uh, I I don't think it was anything unusual from the normal campaign messaging and the normal campaign rhetoric that political parties use. But if we want to um, analyze individual parties, I would, um, the small parties for me would have failed miserably in their campaigns. Uh, we had three small parties. Their campaign was managed by a social media sensation that goes by the name of the Guyanese critic. What and parties were those, those three? The uh, the Liberty and Justice, the New Movement, and a new and united Guyana. Now, I do not believe that I can take any party seriously that has the Guyanese critic as their campaign manager, with no disrespect to the Guyanese critic. But <laughs> he just doesn't have any experience in managing a campaign or, or so forth. And I think that alone ruled out those three parties, in my view. Uh, but that is not to say that the parties did not present any good policies. I think uh, the, uh, the Anew and United Guyana, they wanted to be the sort of uh, the middle ground between the APNU and the PPP because I think they would have recognized that they cannot win the presidency, so they would have been campaigning for at least one seat to sort of um, to sort of mediate uh, in the parliament, if I, if I got their campaign strategy correct. Uh, but um, the citizenship initiative as well, I, 
they would have released their campaign manifesto just a few days before the elections. I was very critical of them uh, during uh, the lead up to the elections, but I believe after the elections, they would have performed um, way better than they did leading up to the elections. I actually um, would look forward to reading the presidential candidate's view on the elections because I think she has... Um, she has maintained her integrity and she has maintained her objective stance. But in terms of the, um, back to the actual question, in terms of the messaging leading up to the election, uh, from, the two ma- from the two major parties, uh, one party, I don't think the PPP would have released a manifesto up to this day. And the APNU, APNU's manifesto would have mirrored much of what they would have promised in 2015. So, again, I do not think Guyanese would have paid much attention to the manifestos, but we would have been focusing on the actual persons who would have presented themselves to be the presidential candidate. And, of course, the incumbent would have uh, had President Granger as their candidate, and the PPP would have had the often criticized and the maligned uh an Ali, rightfully so, because we are yet to see any um, presentations of his academic certificate. Uh, so, so just for clarity for people who don't know, so there is some controversy as to whether the candidate for the People's Progressive Party, Irfan Ali, actually does hold um, a, a postgraduate degree. Yeah, well, I you might call it controversy, I call it. <laughs> I call it Fox. <laughs> I'm trying to be diplomatic. <laughs> <laughs>